Hi folks, Jack Spirico here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes, podcasts, blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today, folks, we're rewinding, well, not very far, not even a whole year. We're going back to November the 17th, 2020. And uh, this was originally episode 2775. And it was called Resistance via Adaptation During the Great Reset. I think this episode was incredibly important at the time that it ran. I really do. I think that it has been unfortunately proven right in the six months that have followed. The Great Reset is real. At the time that I did this episode, the double speak from the media had reached a level where you just go, how do you expect anybody to take you seriously anymore? The week that I did this episode, the New York Times ran a story claiming that the Great Reset was a conspiracy theory. The existence of it was a conspiracy theory. In the same week, Time Magazine had the Great Reset featured on its cover. The Great Reset is here. Time Magazine. I mean, it's a trash rag, but... If you have Time Magazine, which is as MSM as it gets, talking about the glories and the wonders of the Great Reset, in the same week, the New York Times is saying, there is no Great Reset. It's like it's like two bab Baghdad bobs running around bumping into each other, if you remember that guy. I mean, it, it, it's pathetic. And we have a society today that is willing to cast aside all its freedom and all of its liberty to feel a little bit more secure. That's why now, now you know, six months later from this, but we're well past a year of two weeks to flatten, or 15 days to flatten the curve or whatever, right? We're a year past that. And you still see people walking around with two masks on by themselves outdoors. That person has no, has no stomach for anything that has any risk involved in it whatsoever. And they're also deluding themselves. They're deluding themselves because they're probably a hell of a lot more in danger of like being hit by a runaway vehicle or mugged or stabbed or shot by some bad person, especially where they've defunded the police, walking through that field by themselves with their mask on, than they are at risk from COVID if they walked into a COVID ward at a hospital. Just based on the numbers. Just based on the numbers alone. And it is this society, which is, don't ever kid yourself, the vast majority of people in the world today, the vast majority, have sold out their souls to feel good, to feel safe, to feel protected, that the Great Reset has come to. If anything you're going to hear today sounds like, ah, that's not going to happen, I'm sorry, I wish I was wrong, I'm not. The goal is to take this opportunity at this moment, because I don't know that there'll ever be a better moment, to exert as much control, and if they can, total control over humanity. Good news? I don't think they can get total control. 
I think they can get total control over some. And I think they're willing to settle for that. I think they're absolutely willing to settle for that. But what I explain in this episode is you're not going to fight this in the conventional sense of it. You're not going to take your country back. Your country's gone. I'm sorry. I wish that wasn't true. But the country that you believe in, the ideals are not dead. But the country's dead. You don't live in that country. Please stop kidding yourself and thinking you do. The, the America that you grew up learning about in school is dead. I didn't say the ideals were dead. The place is dead. The location is dead. The, the country that you think of is being a landmass with borders. And those things that you hold dear, being protected inside those borders, is dead. It doesn't mean that no one inside those borders believes in those ideals. It doesn't mean that there's not resistance But it's going to need to be resistance via adaptation in the society that we're in today. We're going to have to work together. We're going to have to band together. We're going to have to get the hell out of the way of this juggernaut that's being installed. It's reality, guys. There's an old saying back when news people used to actually report the news. I don't make the news, I just report it. That's what this episode's all about. This is not what I think should be. This is what I unfortunately realize is, and what you can do about it. There are ways to resist. There are ways to fight. But this is one of those things, if you fight it head on, you're going to get ground under. With that in mind, let's rewind back to November 17, 2020, resistance via adaptation during the Great Reset. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, November the 17th, 2020. This is episode 2775 of the Survival Podcast. Today we're going to make up for some bullet points I skipped yesterday. Um, and, and turn them into their own show. So yesterday I had a great question from Tactical Redneck um, that was about blockchain and voting, and I, I, I skipped over it. I also had an anchor segment that was going to be about the fact that you can't really directly resist what's coming. Um, part of it we would call the Great Reset. We're going to come at it from that standpoint today. Today's show is titled Resistance via Adaptation During the Great Reset. And I've talked about this before, and the Great Reset's only part of this this issue. Um, I, I want you to imagine yourself right now, a giant grist mill. You know, it's a, one big stone turning on another big stone that, that grinds wheat into flour. But this is a huge grist mill. It's so big that you are now standing on the bottom stone. And that bottom stone is laid down like a pizza pie. The top stone kind of goes in a groove, and it's, it's like a wheel on like a Flintstones car. And it goes around and around and around, and it grinds the wheat. Somehow you found yourself, unfortunately, down in this mill. And you can't climb out, but you can move. And you hear, and that, that, that wheel starts coming at you. 
You can either move with the flow. That doesn't mean you accept the like the fact that this thing becomes sovereign in your life. But you expe- you respect its ability to grind you into a paste. And in, in doing so, you look for an opportunity to figure out how you actually can climb out. Or at least how you can maybe carve out a, a niche where it just keeps going around, but you're not part of the mill's goal of grinding up others. Now, that's one way you can approach this. Now, remember, in this thought experiment, I put you in this mill. So you don't get to, you don't get to decide what the options are. There's only one other option in this scenario I'm giving you. You decide that it's wrong of the millstone to do this to you. So you stand up to it. What happens to you? Squish. Just like grape, right? In the words of Mr. Miyagi from the 80s movie. You squish just like grape. That's what's coming right now. And it's not just this great reset, which we will talk a little bit about today. But this is going to be like, what is the great reset? Let's go deeply into it. This is a mile-high view of it. Um. Because so much of it is beyond the Great Reset. The Great Reset, in reality, is the powers that be using the opportunity presented to get what they want based on what's mostly already happening anyway. Let's say that none of these malevolent bastards were out there trying to do this stuff. Most of it would happen anyway. Most of it is... The movement forward of humanity and the consolidation of power. If it wasn't for those people in power, there'd be somebody else using this technology to grab control and have power. There is no stopping the stone. There is not being crushed in the mill. And I want to be real clear from the beginning today. We're talking about resistance through adaptation, not through conformity. Conformists will get smashed in the mill, too. They'll just get something shiny while they run in front of the stone. We're talking about true resistance, but we're talking about strategic resistance that actually has a chance of success for you, your family, and your community. Resistance that is is typical in these situations is the concept that we will resist the entire thing and stop it for all of humanity. You can't stop it for all of humanity because most of humanity is making it happen one way or another as a participant or an orchestrator or an opportunistic. Next up, let's go ahead and start out with a uh, quote of the day that fits today's show. This is from Ron Paul. He said, But whether the resistance against government tyrants is nonviolent or physically violent, The effort to overthrow state oppression qualifies as true patriotism. That sounds very much like a call to arms, doesn't it? Whether it's a call to actual, you know, arms, or the nonviolent resistance of someone like a Mahatma Gandhi. There's something more to this, though, and it's why I chose it. Overthrowing state oppression is not just about overthrowing the state or removing an ass clown from office only to be replaced by another ass clown, or changing a law. The overthrow of state oppression is when you avoid being oppressed, not accept being oppressed. That's the big difference that we're trying to key in on today. 
When I talk like this, people are like, oh, you're a surrender monkey or whatever, you know, some stupid shit. Um, acceptance is I'll do what you say. Resistance is I'm going to do what I want. Strategic resistance is I'm going to do what I want and not get ground up by the millstone. What I'm going to try to come at with you today is how you can position your life as best as possible for this reality of what's coming so that you don't get crushed by the millstone and yet you can still resist because it's really hard to lead a resistance movement from prison. And you can say what you want about Nelson Mandela, but that is the exception rather than the rule. And I guarantee you at any time during the entire situation, if someone said, hey, you, you can fight this battle without being in a prison cell, he'd have took that option B. All right. So let's start off with the question that was supposed to get on yesterday's show. And I, I just accidentally missed this one and then decided toward the end that my voice was just giving too much. And I was, I was honestly just beat from the week before. So I decided to push it till today. Well, the question was from Tactical Redneck, and it was, do you think blockchain can be used to stop election fraud, or at least make it way more difficult to pull off? And the more important one, do the people in charge want that anyway? Don't it, it, He said basically, it seems they're pretty happy with it the way that it is. Um, first of all, could you? Absolutely. Absolutely. You could issue every citizen a digital ID. Oh, wait, do we really want to do that? Isn't that kind of the shit we're talking about today? A ah, voluntary ID. You already have an ID anyway, a driver's license or state-issued ID. You already are a number. You're already traceable with that. Um, there's a lot of things you already do that, that identity is attached to. Your, your bank has a copy of your ID. When you go to buy a car, they have a copy of your ID to make sure you're licensed to drive. Like, Should we do this? I don't know. We're not talking about that yet today. We're talking about could, could this be done? So each citizen of whatever entity you're, you're conducting an election within, because this could be a country, it could be a state, it could be a county, it could be a city, could have this digital ID. As we've seen through blockchain and multiple attempts to do so, when built properly, a blockchain token is not counterfeitable. So you would actually be a token on a blockchain. That's what your ID would be. So then you would be able to use that to vote. Now, the technological hurdle is here is how many 85-year-olds would be able to do that? How many 65-year-olds would be able to do that right now? No matter how easy it is, how many would be skeptical or scared? But could it be phased in over time? You know, the people that want to use blockchain to vote, use blockchain to vote, let everybody else use the existing system, and slowly atrophy this out over a few election cycles. Sure, it could be done if they wanted to. Would it work? Well, to a degree, yes, and to a degree, no. A, a huge part of election fraud is something called ballot chasing. That's where like, I go out to people who requested ballots, and I guide them through how to fill out their ballot, and I tell them who to fill out their ballot for, and they're like old people who I victimize and con into doing things and tell them what they really want to do is and conjole them. And this goes on. And Project Veritas just busted a lady that did this ballot chasing with at least 7,000 ballots causing them to be changed in El Paso, Texas. And she was working for a Republican, by the way. So would blockchain prevent that? It might actually make it worse at first because, you know, there'd be these ballot chasers that would go out to, like, old folks' homes and shit. Well, let me show you how to vote now. Log in right here. Social security number in here, yada, yada, however they do it, you know. 
set up your new digital ID. Now that's you on a computer. Now let's walk you through the ballot so you know how to vote. Could make it worse at first. But in the end, it would be, if it was done properly, auditable through a public ledger, immutable, and something that would never go away. So it should actually make voting more, or I would say less subject to fraud. In total, over time, yes. Now, the idea is that the people behind this don't want that to happen. They're not interested in actual fair elections. Well, <laughs> this supposes that the people really in charge are the people that get elected and the people that are largely committing the fraud. The people that are in charge are the oligarchs and the technocrats, the money behind the scenes, the hand behind the curtain. That's... That's who's in charge. They don't give a fiddler's fart who gets elected. They might have some preferences. They, they probably weren't exactly thrilled with Orange Man, though he didn't derail their plans. Isn't it amazing? All the people that are huge Orange Man fans are still screaming, MAGA, MAGA, right? They're the main resistance against mandatory vaccines, but they're very proud that Orange Man is behind Operation Warp Speed and got the vaccine done so quickly. The vaccine that's going to come probably with um, bioluminescent tattooing so that they could take a look at your arm and see that you were vaccined. Maybe that, that tattoo is even a number. This is not conspiracy. Like, the fact that that's all the case with the guy that's supposed to be the leader of the resistance tells you that the people that are actually behind this movement, when I say movement, I don't mean a movement like, you know, Black Lives Matter is a movement. I mean harnessing the movement of civilization to their own ends. That You don't move civilization. You go along for the ride. These guys are just going along for a ride from the top, harnessing and having some level of ability to direct things. Think of it like a person driving a chariot and a horse is pulling it. You have controls over that horse. You can top it to speed up, slow down, turn left, turn right. But that horse is going to, in the end, do what that horse decides it most wants to do. That's how these people are. They're like steering a chariot, except it's being pulled by millions of horses. And sometimes some of those horses don't do what they're supposed to do. You can shoot some horses and get rid of them, feed them to the peasants, feed them to the dogs. You can't shoot them all. You can't control them all. So it's more important that they guide the trend. That's how they're coming at this. So... This is where I think people would be shocked when I say, I think most of those people would love it if elections either were less susceptible to fraud or at least appeared to be so. And the reason is they don't care who's in charge. They care that you accept the legitimacy of who's in charge. They don't care which side you pick. They care that you pick a side. They don't want everybody becoming a Democrat. They want Republicans becoming Democrats and Democrats becoming socialists and the appearance of still a resistance. So the more legitimate a president seems, the more legitimate a senator seems, the more legitimate, legitimate the entire body of Congress seems, the more since they're going to use either side to their own ends, the more they have to work with toward achieving just that. So with that in mind, let's move on to the Great Reset and how it's not a conspiracy theory. Well, the reason it's not a conspiracy theory is I have a link in the show notes today where it says Great Reset. And if you go to the World Economic Forum, it's a page on the World Economic Forum's website called Great Reset, 
where you can listen to a really long conference with world leaders explaining why we need a Great Reset and telling you how great the Great Reset is. This is not something that's like the New World Order, right? The New World Order is an example of a term that people that see themselves as resisting the New World Order came up with. There's not like a place that's like New World Order headquarters, right? These guys don't go around with NWO pins on, on their shirt, right? And contrary to what you believe, the reason there's a uh, world wrestling thing that does this is because it sounded cool, right? But the resistor, right, the alternative media types, the conspiracy theory types, from the legitimate conspiracy theory types to the total tin hat nutters, all of it together, somewhere the phrase came up. It wasn't because George Bush said it one time, right? Because the phrase can mean simply a new order to the world, or it can mean this, this entity, this group of people who are trying to change the world. But either way, the term came from, if you want to look at it this way, I hate to use this term because I don't put myself in this group, but us. We came up with the term. The Great Reset is not like, so what I'm saying is, there, it's not that there's not a new world order, It's a phrase we created to describe a thing. It's not their idea to call it a new world order. It's ours. Again, I hate using those pronouns that way, but it's the best way I can explain it. Great reset is not our term for what they're doing. It's their term for what they're doing, and they're very clear about what it is. They're telling you how wonderful it is. They're telling you about how to, you know, you'll get your, if you need a heart transplant, you'll be able to get a heart transplant. Because they'll print you, 3D print you a heart. Don't expect that to happen anytime soon. It probably will eventually. By the time you need a heart, if you're going to need one before you die, it probably won't. And you won't be on a list that gets one if it is. Right? You might go to Mars. This is an actual document. right? This is an actual story these people have for you. You could go to Mars. You're not going to Mars. Your kids aren't going to Mars. You, you have a greater chance of walking into a parking lot Stepping on bubblegum, not noticing it. Stepping onto a lottery ticket that sticks to the bubblegum. Getting home, finding that lottery ticket, figuring, what the hell? And finding out you won a Powerball. You, you have a better chance of that than your kids or your grandkids going to Mars. But they're, they're promising this technological marvel as part of selling this thing. But, but they're using phraseology like, you'll own no, almost nothing, but you'll be happy. Privacy, as we think of it, will be a thing of the past. We have to reevaluate and change the priorities of Western values. What are Western values? The right to privacy, the right to individual sovereignty, the right to property. That's what Western values are. The right to assemble peaceably, the right against surveillance. We just got to get rid of that. They're not hiding this. And what they're saying is that COVID is their opportunity. I'm serious. I'm about to play for you something I heard last night on Tucker Carlson. It is one of many examples of this. This is not some Alex Jones type, you know, on bit shoot. This is Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, that you are about to hear discuss how COVID is an opportunity 
for them to move forward with the reset that they were already working on before the pandemic, and now's a better time than ever to do it. This, this should be on every major news outlet in the world, if anybody gave a shit, about creating any resistance to it. And there's an important piece to that concept that I'll say, I'll talk about as soon as we get back from here in Justin Trudeau. Here's just a couple seconds. Only problem is that what Vagano wrote is actually true. It's not a conspiracy theory. It is factually accurate. Watch this video from September. You may not have seen it. It wasn't played much in this country. This is the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, speaking to the United Nations. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. Now, I have to say something here that's going to, to some of you, sound like I'm being an apologist. But it's not the case. It's an acknowledgement of reality. Not all of this is bad. And much of it is not seen as malicious by the people actually doing it versus the people actually causing it. So when I say doing it, I don't mean the people making the decisions. I mean the people that are doing the edict and believe in what they're doing. There is some level of, well, shit, we have to do something here. We have a population heading for $9 billion and no idea how we're going to feed everybody. In spite of the fact that there's a lot of fossil fuel left, it is waning. And the, the ability to use it inexpensively is waning. And natural gas punted that some, but only so much. Coal is incredibly expensive to produce electricity with unless you already have a coal-fired plant that was built years ago. Most of the coal-fired plants in this country are 20 years past their expectancy of life. They're not building anymore. So you can have all the coal you want, you can mine all the coal you want, if you don't have a place to burn it. I mean, coal is actually burnt as dust in an explosion in these, 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 these plants. In some ways, some ways, not always, some ways they're more dangerous than a nuclear plant of what could go wrong. And when they break down now, they don't. when, it, when a coal-fired component breaks down, like the, the, the furnace for the plant breaks down, they don't fix it anymore. They don't replace it for damn sure. When, they, when it gets to a point where they can't fix it anymore, they scrap it and they use the parts of it to keep the other ones going. So they might start out with five at a facility and one goes down. So now they have four and they have one for backup. And another one goes down. They have, and if they bring anything in new, They bring in natural gas. The cheapest way to make electricity right now is solar. Mining less coal is not a bad thing. Moving more toward renewables as a whole is not a bad thing. What it can be used for and justify is a terrible thing. So not everything is bad. And the reason it's important to understand that is because the only way you can counter it if you are talking to somebody who has an open mind about it, is to acknowledge what would be good about it. Because they make it all sound wonderful. So if they cherry-pick the things that actually are somewhat good, and that's what you oppose, well, you see how that goes. Because people are looking for a reason to stay with what they believe. 
You have to make a very compelling case to pull somebody off of something like that. But again, you're going to have to focus more on yourself. Some of it is really, and I mean really bad. This is global socialism. And it's global neo-fascist socialism. We have to stop separating fascism and socialism. We really do. We really do. Um, one of the greatest success in marketing for the people in power has been to convince you that fascist equals Hitler. Hitler was a fascist. Not saying anything to the contrary. But as though all fascism was Hitlerian fascism, ignoring you know a regime like the Franco regime in Spain that lasted well past World War II, well past, I until the 70s. As though it was the same. It wasn't the same. I think that you really need to understand that this all can look really good on some levels and still be really bad. They really want to move off of the concept of property, and not just real property, but property as a whole. There's entire ideas in brainstorming sessions around things like, well, what if everything was leased? You've got to get a new washing machine. It's leased. See, the beauty of this, and this is, this is the logical case made. Well, the company you leased it from eventually gets it back. They have to be responsible for it. So since they have to be responsible for it, they're either going to have to see to its disposal, its recycling, or its rebuilding and reuse. I've even read articles years ago about like things like carpet being leased. Every so, you know, they, 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 the, the, the communists do a real good job of shrieking about rent holding. That's me when I'm taking a risk my entire ass to own a piece of property and rent it to somebody to be a tenant. They want to do away with that, but they want to literally go to where everything's rented. Under this, this eco guys. All of this is being done under the idea of saving the planet. There's nothing these people have ever done competently, but they're going to change the climate. And, and, and the worst part is people believe that they can do it. But I do want you to look at it this way. You can dig into this to where you scare the shit out of yourself. When you figure out all the things these people want to do and want to accomplish and what their goals are. But when you read that, remember what I said about when you're steering a chariot, the horse in the end does what the horse is going to do. And if a horse ever decides he doesn't want to do what you want him to do, there is no human being that can't be killed by a horse. And the horse knows it. That's the masses versus the elites. They will go along plodding through like cattle, but in the end, they're equines. They think at a higher level, even the dumb ones. And sooner or later, you can pound them to death with your hooves, and they know this. So, remember a phrase that my grandfather was very fond of saying when I used to say I wanted something. He'd say, want one hand and shit in the other and see which one fills up first. I mean, he told me stuff like that when I was eight. If you ever wonder why, why does Jack cuss somewhere? Because I was talked to like that when I was eight years old. I think that's why I have common freaking sense. But there's, there's a point to be made there, and that is just because they want it doesn't mean they get it. You can't look at this plan as exactly what they're going to do, exactly what's going to happen, and exactly how it's going to work. This is an agenda. There's a lot of agendas that they've had over the years they haven't gotten. And resistance is how you subvert this, right? And I want you to understand something about the United States. We are unique. We are unique. We don't have what they call in the UK a holdings. You know, we, I want to put a piece of land and go out and put a little garden in. 
They already have these problems in the UK. You can't just do that. You have to get a special thing that says you're allowed to use this piece of land that's outside of an urban center. They already have that. Because of the way things were structured in, in, in the UK, almost all the land outside of the towns and going back to like the World War II era was owned by farmers. Almost nobody lived in the country and wasn't a farmer. It's a little bit different than most of the people in the United States made their living farming. It's totally different. The land holders were farmers. So as the farmers atrophied, the land was either put into conglomerate farms or set aside for nature. That is the plan here. But we are a much bigger country, and we have probably 40% of our population scattered outside of urban centers and close-in suburbs. That's, what, 140 million people? You can't just make them all go. You can't round them all up. We're going to have pockets of what I call neutral zones. We'll say more on that later, but we're different. We're different. We have a lot of stupid people in this country. They've done a really good job of dumbing down our children, generation after generation after generation. But there's still a shitload of people in this country. I would say, per capita, more people in this country that are like hell F no than just about any other modern Western nation. The, mi the minor nations, the third world nations, tons of people like that in them. Don't let what they show you on TV of them make you think that's what the whole place is like. And there's total shit shows too, right? But in general, there's a lot of these nations that aren't even third world, right? They're fairly modern. There's parts of them that don't look a lot different than the United States, but they're not in the club. And there's a lot of people there that have limits to what they'll allow to happen. But our nation is unique. That does not mean we will be spared. But because it's unique, we can use that uniqueness to our advantage as individuals who are more adaptable, who are the, 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 the horses that will detach ourselves from the chariot and go our own way as Mustangs. Right? So, before we get into what you can do, let me three things you can't do. And I mean 100% you cannot do. They cannot be done. One of them, some of like half of you are going to go, yeah, and the other half of you are going to go, I knew he'd say that, but fuck him, right? And that's okay. That's okay. But just don't deceive yourself when it comes, like you can say it matters, but don't think it's going to stop this. Because this is not a presidential policy. This is not a U.S. policy. This is a global fluctuation being harnessed, not being installed. You got it? Okay, you cannot vote your way out. You could maybe slow some things down if you could clone Ron Paul and have all Ron Pauls in the Senate, all Ron Pauls in the House, and a Ron Paul as president. Still going to happen. And that ain't going to happen. You ain't going to get our body of government anything close to that. So this is going to happen. Maybe Trump pulls a rabbit out of the hat. By the way, the cities will burn to the ground if he does and stays in power. Maybe that slows it down a little bit. I don't know. It's still going to happen. Maybe Biden comes in. Maybe that speeds it up a little bit. I don't know. still going to happen. Maybe the red resistance comes out after Biden takes over. And in the midterms, they get slaughtered. In 2024, Donald Trump Jr. becomes president or some other person that you think is the new savior. It's still going to happen. You can't vote your way out. So if you believe voting matters, you go do it. But don't think it's going to make this go away because it won't. Number two, you cannot stop it from happening at all. 
It cannot be stopped because it is a global period of flux. They're not causing it. They are harnessing, accelerating, and steering an existing megatrend, the largest global megatrend in the history of humanity. It's there whether they are doing the malicious part or not. It is coming. And therefore, the last thing you can't do, and you can't even think that you can, is escape it 100%. It will impact you. And I look at it a lot like COVID makes a good metaphor for it. I've been largely untouched by COVID. I just had a party for a week with 80 people at my house. Part of that was strategically planning where I lived. I live in a state where we weren't going to get locked down the way that they did in New York or California or Washington. Right? Nobody burnt down my city. The closest city to me is Fort Worth. You go to Fort Worth, you break into somebody's business, about one in three chance you're going to get shot in the face. I knew that when I moved here. I chose that. I have tons of food growing in my backyard. I have tons of food stored. I didn't go out and have to buy ammunition because I have plenty of ammunition, reloading components, etc. I didn't sit around and worry that uh, pork chops and chicken wings would dry up and I wouldn't be able to get meat. I had everything I needed. Mostly when I wanted to go to a restaurant, I went to a restaurant. Because I, I know the owners of the restaurants that I actually go to, and I know their angst. I'll wear my mask in a restaurant until I sit down, and I'll take it off. And that's why I do it, because it's that short. When I go to stores, I don't wear I don't wear a mask. Tough shit. You don't like it? I just ignore people. I go off my life. I have largely ignored COVID. I have made more money this year than I did the year before. I have not suffered. It still touched my life. It's interfered with things that I wanted to do. It's caused me some problems. It's made me unhappy. It's inconvenienced me. It's had an effect on me. It's made me have to work harder to help more people. I haven't avoided it, but I've largely maneuvered around most of it. That's what you're going to have to do. You're not going to escape it 100%. And any belief that you are, any belief that you are, is a denial of the actual problem that's coming. They don't want you to eat meat. They want the average person in the world to survive on a few grams of protein a day. This is their plan. They're trying to figure out. Now, I'm all for indoor growing, vertical farms, if it can be done right. But they're all in on trying to figure out how to grow wheat and barley and grains indoors. So they can have these technological marvels and then decide that the rest of the world needs to be rewilded and call it wilderness. But it's not wilderness so you can go camping there and see the deers and the elks. No humans allowed to go there. Well, not you, you little peon. They can go. Their families, the elites can go. They'll have special passes and exemptions. But you're not going to go. That's what these people want to do. So we need to build our lives in a way that we're not in that conglomerated shithole they're going to call the modern cities, these marvels. We need to be the remnant that's still out in the wilderness. And their goal, those of you that think, well, I don't live in a city, I live in a suburb, to come out into those beltway suburbs and expand the urban zones until they swallow the suburb beltways. So those of you that live in Leave it to Beaverland, right? But your, na your neighbors next door, you could spit out each window and hit a house. They're coming for you. 
They're coming for you. And Trump was right. They're going to put projects in your backyards. They're going to keep doing stuff like this. The thing that makes this country different is there's so much land and so many places to move. It's much harder to get your arms around than places where they've already got it mostly done, like Europe. It's much harder here. There's a, a greater spirit of resistance. And people that give up everything easily, they're not so hip on giving up their property and their land. And remember, this is important. There is a remnant of this fact that stays in our culture. Land is why people came to America more than any other thing. You could own land. When this country was going through its colonial phase and in its early period as a confederacy and then as a republic, I'm talking going up to the Civil War and even beyond a little bit, most of the places in the world, a commoner could not own land. We didn't see the end of the divine right of kings until World War One. In the 19, you know, 1916, 1915, 1917, 1918, right? Up until around 1920. That's when the divine right of kings ended. But you could come to America and you could own land. That's still here. That makes it harder. So the first thing you got to do, here's what you can do. Get the hell out of the cities and the urban centers and the close suburbs. This is the key important part while it's still easy. If you think it's hard now, wait another couple of years. Then see how hard it is. I'm telling you, there's only so much development, land, and places in rural America available. There's lots of land with nothing on it. It's going to get very hard to develop properties like that in the future, especially in some states. So the little house that's sitting out there with three acres or five acres or 30 acres is going to become gold. The more people that just figure this out, And if 1% of the people in the urban centers right now, 1%, decide, screw this, Jack Spear goes right, I'm getting out of here. There's not enough. There's not enough property out there available, like I'm talking about, to satisfy the needs of 1%. There's enough land, don't get me wrong, developed property. When I say developed, I mean, hey, here's some borders around it. It's approved to build a structure, right? And you can get there on a road of some sort, gravel, otherwise. Paved gravel, dirt. There's not that much of it compared to the total demand that 1% creates. And way more than 1% of these big cities are already bailing. The small towns can only absorb so much, and they have their eyes on what you think of as a small town. 50, 60, 70,000 people, not in just the town, but kind of the surrounding area. They want to suck that all up, too. I'm on a place where I'm very much at risk. I'm right on the edge. I'm right on that urban-rural fringe. What makes my area defensible, and I'm not talking about sitting on my roof with an AR, is how many houses have as much land or more that I do that are already spaced out in a way that makes development here almost impossible. And they always go easy first. We're the hardest, so we go last. And hopefully people will get their shit together by the time we go that far. I mean, I can't promise nothing, right? You just make the best play I can. There are people further out than me, they're probably better off. This is as far out as I could make work. And I think I'm in a pretty good place. I advise you to go at least as far as I have. Get your kids out of the public education system. Again, 
while it's still easy. They're already talking about shutting down the bleeding because the public education system, just as I forecasted in the summer, is ready to die. It's dying. They know it's dying. And they're going to want to hold you in. They're going to make it much harder to leave. Right now, most states, the way you go to homeschool is you go, I'm homeschooling now, goodbye. Look for this to get much more difficult to do in the next year. If you're going to do this ever, do it now. Words of Malcolm X, only a fool would let his enemy educate his children. That's what you're doing. Public school is your enemy educating your children. That doesn't mean the nice little Mrs. Spraggins teacher that your kid has or whatever, Mrs. Matchett or Mrs. Foster or whatever. These are all teachers I went to school. That's why I'm using the names. That doesn't mean that they're your enemy directly. They're agents of your enemy. They don't even know it. Like I said, a lot of the people in this great reset, they think they're doing good. Go listen to the video about these people. Listen to them lament. Oh, my God, how many people are starving and doing without medical care? And it's all because COVID. And oh, we have to do something. And you, you know what? They believe they're bullshit. I'd say the one guy doesn't, but most of them do. In this panel, they have talking about this. So can't you see? This isn't because of COVID. It's because of what you jackasses did do to COVID. It's because you guys shut down the economy. That's why refugees have greater poverty than ever. It's absolutely insane. And they are teaching your children to accept it. They are your enemy. They are your enemy. They are your enemy. They hate everything that you love. If you love the ability to have sovereignty over property that you have rightfully acquired, they hate that. And they're educating your children. If you believe in the right to educate your children spiritually and religiously as you see fit, they hate that. They want that to go away. The state is to be their God. That you, I'm not making this up, guys. This stuff is all available. You can read it. You can understand it. They're very clear about what they want. They want children controlled by the state from, from the time they have language skills and, and until you're an adult and die. They want you in the system. They want you medicated. They want you. They want to control your health care. If you believe in your right to decide what happens to your body unless it's an abortion, they hate you. They don't hate you. They hate that. And they're educating your children. Take any value that you have. The belief that men should be treated equally. Treated equally. But not given equality of result. They hate that. And they're educating your children. The belief that what you have is a result of how much effort you extended so that you could have it versus privilege, it wasn't handed to you, they hate that, and they're educating your children. Get your kids out of the schools. They're going to close, the, they're going to close it off. They're going to clamp down. It's going to happen. It's going to be very hard to drag kids back in, but it's going to be very hard to get them out as well. Develop networks of like-minded people, strong community, etc., Check out Freedom Cells by John Bush. I'll put a link in the show notes today. Consider signing up there. Start to reach out. Form mutual aid groups. What he calls cadres and mega cadres. Regional. Eventually national. You, you, you've got to develop these relationships now. Because I'm going to tell you right now, once the, those relationships are developed and this shit gets really complicated and really starts to become evident, 
The people that have already gotten those relationships, just like it's going to be hard to get out of the cities or get out of the schools, it's going to be hard to get into those groups once they're already formed. The time to do that is now. Get your side hustle on. You need to be thinking, how do I create value for others? I don't care if you start raising quail and selling quail and quail eggs to your neighbors. I don't care what you do. I don't care. Maybe you become kind of a tinkering type level gunsmith. I don't care what you do. You'd start teaching people how to do fill in the blank. I don't care. You build something. You make something. You provide a service. You know, instead of being a farmer, maybe you reach out to all your local producers and develop a food delivery co-op. So you don't grow the lettuce. Bill does. You don't grow the broccoli. Tom does. Right? You don't raise the quail. Steve does. And you're that middleman. How much money could you have made? Because I guarantee you, you wouldn't have lost a single customer this year. There's so much opportunity. And that's that's just food. I'm telling you right now, the way they're headed with meat, the person that can produce chickens in their backyard, it's going to be worth a freaking fortune in the future. But the more you can bring in-house, and unless you depend on outside systems, the better. And that doesn't just mean I'm going to produce everything on site for my chickens. It means that I'm going to buy my grain from somebody in my network that's outside of their system. Next, while we're doing all that, use cryptocurrency. I, 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 at this point, I don't care if the value of every cryptocurrency goes down by 10% and stays there forever. Today is a good day to buy cryptocurrency. This is not about making money with it. I think that can still happen. Cryptocurrency at this point is going to become a skill set that you need to have so that you can trade value with other people without a third-party intermediary that we refer to as a bank or a merchant account provider. So that you and I can do business. I grow a bunch of vegetables. I come up with 10 different packs of seeds. I put them all in a little envelope that's padded. I say it's $20. You say I will pay you a check, and I say, no, I don't want to. I don't want to use their money in this. Inside these networks, I want to use crypto as much as possible. The only way I know to do that is say, for this thing, I'm only taking it. Because I know once a person uses it, they're like, oh, that worked. See, this is why they hate it. They don't actually hate it for the reasons they say, because drug dealers use it. Our government makes more money on the drug tech trade than any drug dealer does. That's not what they're worried about. They're worried about how liberating it is. They have controlled society for over 6,000 years by controlling the minting of the money, by controlling banking. It's a threat to everything. It's a threat to everything. I just heard today from uh, from the pirate chain guys. They're making big progress on pirate pay. What's pirate pay? You want dollars? I got R. I pay R. You get dollars. No one knows who I am. You have your money. You want to do money business on the grid? You do business on the grid. I'm doing business off the grid at the same time. Pretty cool. I'm telling you. You may see a point where it gets hard to move from crypto to fiat and fiat to crypto. And people think that's the end for, for crypto. No. It's honestly when crypto becomes what it's meant to be. We stop worrying about, hey, 
how do I get this into dollars? We start saying, hey, what form should I save this in? What form should I spend this in? And what can I do to earn more of it? Real money. Because money is not what you've been told it is. All you guys that are like uh, gold bucks, silver bucks, right? And you think, so gold and silver are real money. They're no more valuable than people willing to exchange for them. All money is is a system of accounting. All money is a ledger. It's either a ledger and, you know, defined ounces of, you know, purified silver or gold or copper or the ledger in the economy of the United States in the form of Federal Reserve notes or a blockchain like Bitcoin. It's just ledgers that say, Bill gave this to Tom. Tom gave Bill something of this much value. Now, Bill has the value, and he can exchange it for something else. That, that's all money is. But my next step, yes, save precious metal as well. It's another form of anonymous, easily transferable, concentrated wealth. It's never been worth nothing. It could be worth nothing someday. That's no guarantee, but it's a pretty good odds that it won't be. So I've always said about 5% of your net wealth in silver and or gold. I've always said 5 to 10, but I've always pushed the 5%. 10's a little heavy for me. 10's my upper limit of what you could do, and I wouldn't go, yeah, you really shouldn't do that. I won't ever tell you what to do. You say I'm going all in, go all in. You're a grown-ass man or woman. But where I would say I would be careful about going higher in your equity is over 10%. But you definitely want some of that too. Let's talk about what I think the world looks like 10 years from now. Um, number one, there's going to be rural, what I'm going to call neutral zones in the U.S., where you can be mostly left alone. And I put in my show notes, mostly in all caps, mostly, mostly, not completely. Remember, I said no one gets out of this. What I mean by mostly is things that you just will not be able to do in Chicago or Dallas or Atlanta or Jacksonville. You'll be able to mostly do it. No one will give a shit. They don't have time to worry about every single person. They don't have the time or the resources. It's not possible. So they're going to work with the masses. And the ones that willingly put themselves in these situations, they're going to control them first. So we're going to have these neutral zones. And I really need you to understand, this is why I'm so big on get out. The price to buy inside one will be very, very high. Very, very high. Because you're not going to be able to keep building new ones. They're going to put the kibosh on all development. If you have your eyes set on a development that is this type of development now, you better get it approved, even if you don't start doing it. You better get it approved. Whatever you need to get it approved, you need to get it approved, and you need to get it going now. They're going to stop letting us. Now, I'm not saying we won't do it anyway. There'll be creative solutions here. But in the end, it's going to be more complicated and more expensive to do. And the people inside them will not trust outsiders. If you've ever been to parts of Appalachia, there are places where you can literally you know, buy a farm and move into a town, and go to church every, every, every Sunday, put your kids in the local schools, show up at the local little bar or VFW or whatever, and be there for 10 years, and you're still out of towners. You're still out of towners. Those of you who've ever been part of that life, you know what I mean. I grew up, people told me this, and I said to my dad, this is crazy. 
This is crazy. I've never felt that way here. He said, your family's from here. Your family's from here. And most of the people you know are from here. He said, look around. Pay attention. Look at the people that really did come here from somewhere else without family roots here. See how people are about them and around them. How do you feel about them? I realized he was right. The people telling me this were right. It's going to be way beyond that. Because the people that move first or are already there by proxy, as they ferret out this life, they're going to know how much better they have it. And anybody coming into it will be seen as a threat. So the time to form the relationships and get in place is now. Energy will be heavily solar. Like I said, this is not all bad. Now, what they're selling is not possible. I, I don't remember the amount, but it's some ridiculous number of gigawatts a year that would have to be installed every year of solar to be even 90% non-fossil fuels by, let's say, 2035. And you get to a point, see, solar doesn't last forever. Its efficiency goes down. You'll get to a point where what we would need to install this year in new installs By the year like 2030, you need to install that much just to compensate for the production that's been lost in the installs over the last 10 years. And then that much again for the growth to, to get there. And we can't do the number at all anyway. So I think we're going to have a lot more solar Cars will be mostly electric, but we're still going to rely a lot on fossil fuels, specifically natural gas. The nations that will suffer the worst are the poorest nations. They'll be told, you can't have this fossil fuel. It's dangerous. It's dirty. It's killing the planet. Polar bears are drowning, etc. They'll say that to you, too, but we'll be able to get it. It's just going to cost a lot more. So that means the more we can do to decentralize, to move off-grid, to produce our own energy, to be better stewards of the energy that we do produce, alternative building techniques, all of these things, which, by the way, they'll make harder and harder to do. There's techniques that we can build a house with in Texas that we need very little air conditioning to be comfortable in friggin' Texas. Or if you don't have air conditioning in my house in Texas, you're going to die. Maybe literally. It's awful. But they don't want us building these things. They want their high-efficiency, high-density apartments where people live like rats. That's what they want. So they're going to make it harder for you to live the way that you want to live unless you get there ahead of the curve. Then, again, it's very hard to get people out once they're in. Next, movement will be hyper-tracked, especially in urban areas. Your cell phone, yes, But cell phones can largely be disabled. A metal envelope. <laughs> Turn it off and put it inside a freaking ammo box. But your face won't go away. Let me tell you what they're doing right now with these mask mandates. They know this shit doesn't work. They're developing technology to be able to use facial tracking while you're wearing a mask. I would not be surprised if by the end of next year, We still have COVID Karen shrieking about the need to wear masks, even with a vaccine in place that's mandatory <laughs> in some form. And people are still shrieking about wearing masks. And people are advertising for Christmas of 2021 the new iPhone that can use facial recognition even when you're wearing a mask, like it's a good thing. 
Because it's what they're teaching your phone to do right now, and thereby teaching the networks to do. They want to be able to track you by your face, even if part of your face is covered. And this is an opportunity to learn to do that. If you don't think that's going on, you're not paying attention to what's happening. Um, so they're going to track us heavily. Now, how well can you track me out here in the backwoods? Not very well, but walking down the street, they want you to walk most places you go. They've made that a virtue, walking and riding a bike. Well, you're easy to track that way. You know, all the things they say they want you to do, the places where people already do that, they're not very happy about it. There's towns and cities in, in India and in China, throughout the, the Far East, where people live exactly this way and have for generations. It's not a very good way to live. They got hammered by COVID because the respiratory health is shit, for one thing. It's supposed to be cleaner, but it's dirtier. The more people you put in one place, the dirtier it gets. The more waste we produce. They're going to track everything, though, in these high-density areas, and it's going to be very easy for them to do it. We'll be a cashless society or very close by 2030. Cash will go away in the next 10 years to almost completely or completely. And right now, we're already mostly there. We only have 97, or we only have 3% of the M3 money supply, which is all the money that exists in America. Only 3% of it is in the form of bills and cash. 97% of our money right now is in ones and zeros only. It's not a big leap from here. It really isn't. Barriers will be heavy going from fiat to crypto, from fiat crypto to real crypto. What I mean by fiat crypto, since the money will be digital, the United States dollar will be a digital currency. It will be a cryptocurrency. They might even call it that. Or a blockchain-based centralized currency. A centralized blockchain. Call it whatever you want to. It will work and function like cryptocurrency. And your bank account will be attached to a cryptocurrency-style address. And they will make it, I think in 10 years, very difficult for you to take Bitcoin and go to dollars. Maybe they'll let you go from Bitcoin to dollars. But they kind of want to know how that Bitcoin got there. Who knows? But what I really think is going to happen, the more they do that, the more crypto will, will begin to circulate within its own economy. Most crypto that's spent to buy things right now is converted to cash almost instantly, which is what Pirate Pay is going to do. I don't have a problem with that. But if you really want crypto to fulfill its actual purpose, you need to get it where people are just exchanging crypto. See, the thing about that is, and this is what people don't understand, it's what makes crypto so great. You have to cre keep creating value for that to work. There's no way to cheat in that model. You can't have somebody just churn out a bunch of money and give it to you for existing. That's what they're going to do with FedCoin. They're going to call it UBI, Universal Basic Income. That's coming. You're not going to stop that either. And if they give it to you, use it. Don't depend on it. Because one of the biggest things they're going to do to, to maintain control is take it away from people. So don't need it. Don't need it. Use it, but don't need it. Um, crypto economies will largely abandon dollar and euro type pegging. There will probably be the case, and this is already kind of de facto sort of the case in a lot of exchanges, that some crypto or basket of like really stable crypto 
will become a reserve. They'll become a reserve like Bitcoin will be digital gold. And I know a lot of people get their ass hairs up when you say that because it doesn't make sense to people. And I don't literally mean it the way that gold is gold. I mean it the way that gold at one time was a reserve for the dollar. That the dollar could be converted into gold and a dollar derived value by how much gold you could get for it. So there'll be some sort of consensus of the markets that these, that this currency or this group of currencies or this groupage of currencies. So a group would be like a basket and a groupage would be like any and or these, right? Will be the main way that they evaluate the performance or the relative currency strength of something like an altcoin like an R. It'll be, it'll be judged against what it does in bitcoins, not what it does in dollars. And the people that have been the most future thinking about cryptocurrency have been saying that's the goal from the beginning to stop going, well, how many dollars can I get for this? And to say, well, can I get a bicycle seat for this? Can I get a consultation for this? Can I buy my groceries with this? Like, how much do I get with this in stuff or services? And that's, I think, where we'll be heading at that point, because I don't think we're going to have much of a choice. I think they're going to... It's a lot like when YouTube starts killing off creators, Facebook and Twitter start banning people. A lot of people that should have left and went somewhere else a long time ago, they leave because they got banned. But then a lot of other people go too. I said years ago, ban us all, please. Somebody get this to the heads of Google, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of it. Get it to them. Get this thing. Ban us. It had to be five years ago I said that. Ban us all, please. Because the minute you do, we're more powerful. Because those of us who think we need you will realize you're not an option anymore. Therefore, we can't need you. That's where I think the future of crypto goes. Automation is going to slaughter conventional employment. As much as John Pugliano and I have talked about this, I don't think we've adequately explained what I'm really talking about. I am talking close to half of all jobs as we think of them no longer existing at all. Not being replaced with something else. No longer being there. And if you think about it, that seems radical, It's not that radical. Before World War II, most households were single-income households. Dad had a job, mom didn't. The vast majority, even post-World War II, into the 60s. That's when the women's lib movement came and more women, you know, a lot of women went into the workforce in World War II because the men were gone, they had to. So there was more exposure to it. But even, I mean, in the 60s, even in the 70s, It wasn't uncommon for, you know, if you had friends in school, four out of five of your friends, if you went to their house after school, mom was in the house. That was the 80s. I grew up in the 80s. I'd say most of my friends, their mother didn't work. Not the, not, not a huge, not like it was in the 70s or the 60s, or like my dad's era, right? But most women still didn't work. If they worked, they worked part-time. So the idea that we would go to a place where there's half the number of jobs is not that radical. As this huge boom came to the economy and all these opportunities came, there was room for more people. 
going to half the number of jobs is really just a reset back to where we were four generations, five generations ago. It's not as radical as it seems. That should make it a little more real for you if you think about it that way. In spite of this, college may become compulsory. It may eventually be that you have just like 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th grade, or at least 13th and 14th, like community college. It starts out with, we're going to make it free for everyone. Then we're going to make it, you got to go. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard because, well, how do you make an 18-year-old go to school? How do you make a 19-year-old go to school? Right now, an 18-year-old got left behind once or twice and is sitting in 11th grade. An 18-year-old could just get up, quit, walk out. Nothing you can do, even though high school's compulsory. Yeah, but you want your UBI? <laughs> Listen, if we're going to give you UBI for being a citizen, we need you to be a good citizen, a well-informed and educated, indoctrinated citizen. That would be one way you could pull off that. That's another way you can save the education system that's crumbling, especially the, you know, the, the, the post-secondary education university system. Then this is where you're going to think I'm putting the foil hat on myself. I'm not. I'm just telling you what I think is likely to be possible, not definite. I think you might see states secede from the union. I do think Texas is high on the list because they, they can. Logistically, the state with the easiest path to secession is Texas. Texas actually has an agreement from when they were brought into the union that says they're allowed to secede. They have their own electrical grid. We are one of the largest economies and largest militaries in the world outside of the federal presence in our, our state. I'm not bragging. I'm just, that's, that's what, I didn't do it. I don't get any pride in this. It's just the way it is. But there's other states. And I think the other thing you might see is an attempt at the bargaining stage of the five stages of grief, like the state of Jefferson, which is like western, uh, eastern Washington and eastern Oregon banding together and creating a new state, which would be you know, the exact opposite of what Democrats want to do right now by making Washington, D.C. a state. Two more senators. They're going to be Republicans, right? Flips the entire balance of power of the Senate. A couple states do that. Or you might see things like there's already rumblings of Western Virginia talking, some Western Virginia counties saying, you know, we might just want to be part of West Virginia from now on. That's actually cleaner. See, the Congress has to approve a new state. Of course, what happens if part of a state breaks away from its mother state and says we can either be part of you as a state or well, we'll just go our own way and be a country? You think that can't happen? What if somebody told you in 1982... That by the end of that decade, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic would break apart and territories like the Ukraine, Lithuania, Estonia, etc. would be independent sovereign nations by the end of that decade. Would you not have looked at them like they were smoking crack? If it could happen there, it can happen here. Anything that's ever happened anywhere can happen everywhere. This is not one to bet on, but it's one to keep an eye on. I believe there will be some sort of vaccine record or something like it, and it will be your digital passport. To certain things you will not be able to do without it. Some form of digital identification. In fact, I'm going to go out on a total limb here and say, the vaccine is just a convenient way to get people into that mode. It's not about the vaccine. 
It's about creating some sort of system where that cell phone, that computer, that irradiates your ball sack inside your pocket all day long, that computer becomes necessary for you to function in society. That you'll get used to showing it to get into a place. People do it right now. You get your tickets for your airline flight on your phone. And you go up and you put the barcode over, a QR code over, beep, and they let you on a plane. Right now, we go to an airport, we show our ID and our ticket, they look at it, they look, tell our, take our mask off for a second and look at us. They're not that far from there already. But we'll get to a point where, oh, where are you coming from? Florida? Well, son, this is Georgia. Yes, you have to stop here. All you do is show us your ID. Everybody in the car got one? Yay, okay, you can go to Georgia. And other things like that. And I don't know exactly how that's going to look. But I don't think it's about the vaccine at all. The vaccine has been seen as a means to an end. Remember the thing I, I, I played you by Justin Trudeau? Our pre-pandemic activities. This is just a means. This is, oh, look, as I steer the horses, there's a fire on the left side of the road. That's going to make it easier for me to keep the horse from veering off to the left side of the road. Horses are afraid of fire. How do I scare them with the fire? Just enough to keep them going the way I want without freaking them out. That's your COVID vaccine. And all these other technologies built into it, maybe, maybe not. But getting us to a point where we become accustomed to needing to prove who we are to do things. Where are your papers? That is our future in 10 years. That's why you got to have your own communities. That's why you have to have your own economies. That's why you have to have your own businesses. That's why you have to get out of these cities. Not to run and hide so that you can actually resist from a position of strength and agility. Next, um, I think it will look, this is the overall mile-high look of it. There's a series on Amazon called Man in the High Castle. And in Man in the High Castle, it's an alternate history. Hitler won the war against the United States, and so did Japan. And Hitler and the Nazis occupied the eastern United States. Japan occupied the western United States. The Japan-occupied sector, really, if you've ever seen the original movie version of 1984, not quite that dank and damp and dark and bleak. But it very much resembles that. Now, the time period of this is like the mid-60s. You know what the eastern United States looks like? The eastern United States in the mid-60s. Housewives, pretty dresses, manicured lawns. People go to and fro. The trains run on time. Most people are basically happy, but everybody knows if you step out of line, you could get shot in the back of the head in a back alley or disappear. And if you don't fit with the master race ideal, you have some sort of disability or something, they peacefully give you a shot and put you to sleep. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be exactly like that. right? I don't know what it will be like. I don't think that we'll be doing that yet. I don't think we'll be putting people to sleep because they were born with Down syndrome. No. I say it can't happen. I'm saying I don't think that's where we'll be. That's what's going on there. But when I say it'll look that way, fascism is Shiny. Fascism, economically, is far more viable and sustainable than typical 
socialism, even though they are both forms of socialism. Fascism is best described as a socialist oligarchy. That's what, that's what fascism really is. The state controls everything, except there's a big piece of industry that helps them control everything, and they work together to mediate the difference between the classes to the advantage of both the state and industry. This is a textbook definition of fascism, not the one you were taught in school, but the actual real textbook definition of fascism. And it works better than socialism. Do you know how we know? Because you've had fascism light, neo-fascist light, as your economy in this country since 1913. That's what you've had. It looks shiny. It's oppression that looks shiny. And the people that are simply willing to go along to get along often don't even realize how hard the boot is stepping on their throat. In 1984, it was described as a boot stepping on a human face forever. See, you can't see when there's a boot on your face. And you know there's a boot on your face. The fascist puts the boot on the throat. Just tight enough to act like a training collar. That's their goal. That's what they're, that's what they're doing. And it's not even so much as their goal. It's a, the result of what they feel they should do or need to do is that. They don't believe the average person can be responsible to control and take care of their own lives. It must be done for them. Like sheep. And the sheep that don't think they're sheep, they're even worse. That's you and me. Because as far as they're concerned, we're sheep too. We're but pawns in their game. And you have to be an intelligent player in this game to not be used in this game. Finally, though, the truth is I really don't know exactly what it will look like. I can identify the trends and I can tell you these are the things that you need to be doing now so that as it fully reveals itself, you're in the best position to adapt and resist through adaptation. Conformity and adaptation are different. Okay? Conformity is when you're a wildebeest and lions are picking off wildebeest. You try to stay in the middle of the herd and hope you don't get picked off. Adaptation is when the wildebeest figures out, hey, you know what? We're not that small. Forms a cohort of other wildebeest and starts stomping lion ass. And that means some of them will die. But in the end, if wildebeest did that, lions would start eating something else. But wildebeest don't do that. They're not capable of that level of thinking. But that would be adaptation. Adaptation would be the wildebeest adapts and becomes stronger and faster in some way more capable of doing harm or more capable of evading, not just by trying to stay to the center of the herd. Adaptation is evolution. At this point, we must evolve as beings to our true level of capability. See, I don't think we're evolving to something new. We're fulfilling the existing capability that's already within us. And that's what we have to be doing to make this happen. And you can't do it by trying to stop the grist mill with your body. If you do that, you get to be a red streak on the stone. Or you can do the things that we've been teaching for years. Why do you think I've been teaching them? Why do you think now that all this is going on and all the people in alternative media are freaking out about it? Oh my God, it's here. I'm still saying, do the same things. 
And here's a new impetus for it. Because this is what you do. This is what you can do. And when you're doing what you can do, you just get better at it. You don't freak out because it won't help you. It won't do anything to make your life better. And we teach how to make your life better here. Okay. Now let's talk about our song of the day today. This was uh, one that I picked out instead of uh, John Adam, who usually picks out our stuff. As I thought about the tone of today's show, the song that kept coming to mind was by uh, uh, Bob Dylan. And uh, it's called A Hard Rain's A Gonna Fall. And even if you haven't, if you think you haven't heard this song, I guarantee you have. Like when you start hearing the chorus, you'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard that song. But as I listen to Dylan's version of it, it is that classic version. It is, you know, Dylan at his top of his game. He's also that voice that makes sometimes it's actually really hard to understand what he's saying. And that's one of those things I love and hate about Dylan, right? But there's a guy named Jason Martz who did a cover of this song that I think is far better for today because you will have no trouble understanding a single word here. You won't be listening to Dylanese. You'll be listening to regular English and a very well-done version of it. So I'm not putting Bob down. I'm not putting him down. I'm just giving you a different version of the song. Now, what the song was is a protest against nuclear war. So people thought that the rain represented like nuclear fallout or rain after nuclear fallout that was toxic. Dylan said, no, it's not what he meant. When he said a hard rain's going to fall, he was like, something bad that sooner or later is going to happen. Nuclear war, maybe. But in the end, there was this feeling that if humanity didn't wake up and change, we were going to somehow pay for it. You can see why I picked it for today's show. A hard rain's going to fall. It's coming. There's no avoiding it. But one farmer sees a hard rain as a terrible thing that floods his fields, erodes his fields, and destroys his crops. And another farmer, well, they see a hard rain, fills their swales, it infiltrates into their land, they harness its energy, and they actually thrive under a hard rain. It's up to you which one you're going to be. It's up to you which path you will take. But a hard rain's going to fall. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.